0: All right, welcome to Life by the Drop. My name is Aaron with my good friend, Ben. All right, we are back. Uh, this is kind of episode two. We, did, uh, we just did an episode uh, literally minutes ago. Mm-hmm. I'm going to upload these both at the same time. Oh, and, cool. And just, just have them. Um, but uh, more of a catch-up because a lot of stuff has been going on. So many months, you know, yeah. You've gotten married, moved into a new place. COVID ended. COVID. <laughs> pretty the Ukraine war. That, yeah, oh my gosh, that's right. So There's many so things. many Just, So yeah. many things. It's insane. Um, we kind of wrapped up, uh, and if, if you didn't listen to the last episode, and I, I have no idea what I titled these, so I don't know how people will find it. I'll figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ben told an amazing story about tear gas and the army. So you... I'm not even going to say anything else because you got. If nothing else, you got to go back and listen to the last episode just for that story. Again, you've got so many, so many gems that it's I just, just, I don't know. I just, this is what I like. I so now, I'm, I'm learning one. so much. Only time I've ever been tear gassed was in 1989 or 88. I can't remember it. Um, it was at uh, the fall of the Ber- Berlin Wall, yeah. the free fall. <laughs> where you went to Germany. I remember. And then they tear gassed. Uh, it's you. so funny you mentioned that. I had a friend who was there. Who actually brought me back pieces of the Berlin Wall, Wow. and I freaking lost them? <laughs> that's horrible. Because <laughs> that's how I that's roll. That's funny. Now, okay, so a couple of times, this, this stuff like this has happened. So, so that happened. Brought gate, and I'm like, and I'm like, I'm never gonna lose these. I have no idea even what I did with them. I, I probably lost them the same night mm-hmm. that he gave them to me. Mm-hmm. Second. Uh, a friend of mine was in Operation, I think, Desert Storm back in 19, was it, 90, 91, started. My good friend JD, a Marine, or was a Marine. Uh, well, once a Marine, always a Marine, I think. So anyways, amazing, amazing guy. Um, he uh, sent me pictures uh, of when they were just blitzkrieging through the desert and pictures of like the oil wells on fire, of Iraqi soldiers just surrendering. They're just like, we couldn't even stop. We just said, keep going back, right? And he actually sent me sand in the mail. And I don't know what I did with it. These are historic. I times. know. And I'm like. This could be in the Smithsonian. I mean, come on. And I just, so I guess the moral is don't send me anything as significant because I will lose it. Just At hold on. time. Hold on. Yeah. Maybe. I'll, yeah. Maybe now yeah, that's maybe what's changed. It's a, it's changed. a new season. Yeah. Like we said, sure. So. Sure. 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 I think that's, that's different. Um, but no, I was tear gassed along with some of my friends uh, and I, a couple of those friends, Carla my sister, Nicole, and I know you guys listen to this podcast every once in a while, so you'll be laughing right now. So we were, there was, uh, I think like 10 of us went up to the homecoming game at St. Cloud State University where our friend Carla was going to at the time. Okay. So we went up there we were, and uh, visiting her, I think we went to the football game. I, I don't know, but we were up there during homecoming week up there at this university uh, and a riot broke out huh. and we got caught in the middle of it, so we had parked and we were walking to I think where Carla's dorm was, and we were going to go there and probably cruise and party or whatever. Um, and next thing you know, we hear all of this yelling and shouting and people running, ran past us into the dorms, and then every then the security at the dorms shut the doors and we couldn't get in. I look. And there's this wall of policemen with German shepherds coming this way. Okay, so I was probably 18 or 19. So I was pretty much an idiot. Uh So I'm just like, this is great. So I just start yelling, and I am not proud of this. I'm just yelling and her. I have no idea what's going on, why there's a riot. No idea. You're happy about it. I'm happy about it, to be caught in this chaos. And so I'm yelling at the police fascists. You <laughs> I'm like, and I have no idea what is even going on, but I'm just in the, mo- and then tear gas is flying and everywhere. I'm like, this wow, is this great. is awesome. And then it hits me as the, as the cops with German Shepherds are now like 10 feet away from me. I'm like, oh, I could, I've got nowhere to go. People are like, Aaron, shut up. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, I better shut up. Like, we got to get out of here. But our car, my car, is on the, the other, other side. side
1: of the German Shepherd.
0: And so, and so we're just, so we just get in a group and we just run, okay? Um, now, if I'm remembering any of these details wrong, you guys can text me, message me, whatever, and correct me on this. Uh-huh. It's, it's a little fuzzy. But I do remember getting stopped by the cops and they're just like not happy with people. And I understand why. Mm-hmm. And they're yelling at us and we're just like literally like, 50 feet from my, I'm like, my car's right there. And these guys are, what are you, get out of here. I'm just like, my car's right there. Go. And I think we came in two cars, right? So there's like, I think there's something like close to, like there's at least eight of us. I know that. Maybe, to, I don't know. There's a there's a lot. There's more than the four that my car holds. I'm driving at this time. Get this. This might've been 1990. I You're was... always driving a cool car. <laughs> no, I know. Th- this is not a cool oh, car. Oh, really? Oh no, my gosh, no. <clears throat> this is a 1989 four-door I think five-speed Nissan Sentra. Oh. It's like a tin can. Yeah. It's like a four-speed. It's like yeah. four or five-speed, four cylinders. Mm. So he's like, go. So so we run to my car, cop is following us, yelling at us. We see people, I think, tipping over a car about a half a block down. They're shaking it, booming, and I'm like, cop's coming, yelling at us. We at least eight of us pile into my four-seater Nissan. Mm. and just get out of there it was just so that's the only time i've ever been tear (laughs) gas. but it was i was like but i was there for it you know what's funny is is that you
1: had a tear gas story in your pocket right you know that's what's funny you know i I got someone someone can say a tear gas story and then you go well you know the only (laughs) other time (laughs)
0: i've I've been been here right yeah it's like i got you know i got that i got the bank robbery you got in my a back. bank robbery. Yeah, I was in a My, my good friend Val and I okay. were um, getting ready to go out to uh, our friend Deb's uh, cabin. A bunch of us were going to go meet out there. Um, it was in the wintertime. I was working for this catering company. And I remember I'm like, oh, I have zero money. And we're going to go out to just cruise for the weekend and kind of hang out. And I'm like, oh, I need to get money. So I got an advance on my paycheck. Oh. Go to the bank. This is in. in um, Uptown Minneapolis. It's a little um, Twin City Federal uh, uh, what do they call those, those branches like extension branch or um, satellite branch. Okay. It's about 10 to 5. Walk in wait in line we walk up to the counter I literally sign my check over to just cash it hand it to the teller two guys bust in the front one guy busts in the back masks ski masks pistols huh telling everybody to get on the effing ground. And I I literally look, I look at my friend Val, and we kind of smile at each other. Like, this is not really happening, right? right. right? There's no way this is actually happening. Get on the effing ground! The guy walks right up to where I'm standing, and I'm like, oh, so we sit down, and like literally the gun is right next to my head, Uh because he's pointing it at the teller that I just handed my check to to get Uh cashed, right? She's like eight months pregnant, right? He's yelling at her to get to get the money and sit down. Nobody look, we're gonna kill you! And just like it's like it was like a movie. It was right. crazy, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me! So they rob the bank, they <laughs> they they get the money, and they're like, nobody, nobody look, nobody look! And it's just like I'm like, what? They get out to like the entryway, <clears throat> excuse me, and so there's like there's like so it's Minnesota, right? So I think everybody has this. So you've got like the entry where like the the ATM is, uh-huh. and you have the doors that come into the actual bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bank. And as the door's uh, swinging shut, I look up and they have their masks off and they look right back at no! me. No! And I went, I looked right down and I'm like, I'm dead. Dude, I saw them and they saw me see them. And I'm just waiting for them to come back. I'm like, this is it. Are you freaking kidding me, Aaron? Come on, show some self control. <laughs> I look back up and they're gone. And then, so this is what's really funny. So then I'm sitting there and I look up and the guy who went out the back door left a bag of money. No, he didn't. Stop it. Stop it. But I thought about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know. I'm like, Aaron, no. But I kid, it literally crossed my mind. Like, what'd they know? Like, if I just grab that, I'm like, there's cameras. You're not, you can't steal money. I mean, come on. Um, but then it was so funny because then obviously the police and then the FBI show up and they robbed a bank right so we have to wait there to get interviewed and so and it was so funny because nobody could agree on what the bank oh. robbers were wearing this one lady's officer officer I saw the whole thing they were wearing and I'm listening to her description I'm like that's not what the that's not what they were wearing, right? So I was just like, I'm staying out of it. Here's the thing: they never caught the guys.
1: They never did.
0: Never caught the guys. Interesting. So that's my that's the that's my in the back pocket.
1: Yeah.
0: Bank robbery You know, I story. have a
1: theory about that. What's that? About those guys? I think they were surfers.
0: <laughs> it was you know. <laughs> Yeah, They were they were probably snowboarders because it was in the wintertime. Yeah. They were just they, like, following the season, man. The yeah. yeah, there the, yeah. you go, All right. That's right. That's right? Dude, <laughs> I love that you brought the Point Break reference yeah, into bro. it. That makes it epic right there. Anyways, um, I don't even know what we started talking about <laughs> at this point. Tear gas. Oh, yeah, I said Yeah, yeah. go back, listen to the tear oh, gas yeah. story. Um, it's good to have those experiences. Those stories in your back, are. But, you know, those
1: are better than the tear
0: gas stories. You know, that's, a, that's it's, hilarious. That's an interesting one. I've had some stuff happen. Yeah, and I love when it when it's more or less. It's not because I instigated something because I've instigated a lot of things well, in my life this, that have ended up comical because no one's died.
1: It's probably mm-hmm. true. You know, but 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 things happen to to certain people, <laughs> and I think more. It's weird because there's certain people that. Go from place to place, <laughs> and their lives are interesting. Yeah, I don't know. And then other people, where their lives just aren't, they don't have that. You know, it might be safer, right? Uh, but they don't have these back pocket stories: the it's, tear gas, the riot, yeah, getting arrested, whatever it would be,
0: getting out of getting arrested. It's very interesting. It's it's yeah. There's there was a there was a a period during probably it was uh, must have been in. Yeah, eighty nine, I think. It was before was it? That whole time period is fuzzy for me, but I I think it was before I moved to Colorado. I think so. It was in the nineties or mm-hmm. late eighties. Anyways, um, where there was a, a like uh, a stretch during the summertime where I was getting pulled over like every other week, hmm. and I don't know it was just. The way I looked, or what? Maybe the, where I lived. It was, I lived up in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis area, Saint Paul area. Um, but a couple of times where it was like at night, not late at night, just at night, they'd have me pull over and uh, get over the loudspeaker, put your hands outside the window. Oh no way! Open the car from the outside. I'm like, what the frick, right? And so, and again, this being the night, so I had long hair. Okay. So I, I looked like I was trouble. Right. And I really wasn't. I wasn't right. was the big, I was a good, you good were, kid. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, I pretty much dress the same now. I just don't have long hair or any hair. But, anyways. Um, and they're like, Okay, now put your hands behind your head, interlock your fingers and walk backwards towards me. Oh, I'm what? just like What were you doing? Nothing. I don't I don't know if I fit a description of somebody or whatever, and they yeah. do the whole grab your finger so you can't do anything, oh pat you down, ask you what you're doing, and whatever. One time I got pulled over. And I had been drinking, right? It was where I drank so much that it hadn't hit me yet, but I decided to drive somewhere from where I was drinking to where I was going. And I got pulled over. And I'm like, dude, I'm dead. Cause I'm I'm gonna freaking, I'm gonna blow. They're gonna, they're gonna, if they give me any kind of test, that's it. So I'm gonna get driving under the influence. I'm gonna get underage consumption. It's gonna be, it's over. I was just like, crap. Sure enough, yeah, no, no, no. I'm like, no, 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 get out of the car. It's like middle of the day. And he's like, okay, have you been drinking? I'm like, uh, no, officer. And he's about to give me a field sobriety test, which I might have passed because again, I drank a ton real quick and it hadn't fully hit me yet. Okay. I think I would have passed it, right? Um. And just as I'm about to do the walk the line, nose, you know, fingers to your yeah, nose yeah, yeah. thing, he gets another call. He stops, looks at me, and he's like, Oh, jumps in his car and takes off. I'm like, dude, dodged a bullet. So Dodged a bullet, interesting. right? Interesting. Actually, I was thinking about this too. I And this is one, okay, so now I'm, um, I'm coming up on four years sober, June 12th, I'll be four years sober. Uh-huh. Um, and I was thinking about this. I was driving my daughter to um, her choir practice. She has every Friday. My daughter's such an amazing, amazing young woman. All my kids are amazing young people. Uh, but my daughter just, um, she's so just, she's super smart She's going to be a math teacher. Um, Just she's she does this musical theater troupe, this choir. Her voice is she's coming into her own with her singing voice now. Mm -hmm. Where like when she started, kind of pitchy, kind of flat. I mean, I can't sing to save my life, so you know, not like I'm saying you should be able to sing better, Kayala, but but she's getting to a point where um, like she sings, I'm like, man, you you can sing, and and Kareen.
1: Right, it went through that side. It yeah, definitely
0: went through yeah. that side because my wife and you know this has yeah, a freaking yeah. amazing voice. Sure. Like, just I'm like, I try to get my, I try to get to Karine to to sing stuff other than worship songs. I'm like, you, right. you like sing some, sing this jazzy blues song. She's like, no. I'm like, you got the you got the voice for it. you got the that harmonizing voice. It's like she can't hit the high notes, right? But she can't get really low. I'm just like. You could hit that sweet spot of like a smoky voice, I think. You know that just that to me, wailing. She you know me of
1: Paula Cole.
0: No idea who that is. Oh, Paula Cole. Yeah, I know. So you who know
1: that, that is. She, she has a more masculine yes. voice,
0: but it's it's unique. It's yes. very powerful. Yeah. Oh, I just and it, but she won't. She's like, I'm not going to sing that. I'm like, oh, come on, honey. You know. Uh, anyway, so I'm driving Keala, um to her choir practice, right? And there were, there were, there were many times, and I'm definitely not proud to say this, um, uh, where I would drive my kids around and I had been drinking. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I never, this, this, this next statement is a total, I don't want you to think I'm a total a-hole bad person. That's why this next statement is, gonna, I was never completely drunk when I drove my kids. Does not make it any better, but often I had been drinking cause I was drinking all the time. And i drive my kids to school, pick them up from school, point A to point B. Um, and I was, as I'm driving here, I, I, I'm i just thinking, man, there, there, there's, there were so many times. And I began to think over my entire life from when I started drinking to then when I got my license, where I never got a DUI. You never did? Never.
1: Yeah, that's unique.
0: And I'm like, I'm so lucky because there's so many times, especially... After I relapsed in 2012, and especially towards the end, 27, 20, 2017, 2018, where if I would have got pulled over, it would have been in cuffs, car impounded, I would have been sitting at OCCC. Yeah. And I've been to OCCC doing programs for some of the uh, young incarcerated fathers there and old incarcerated fathers, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a reminder that I would never want to go to jail. Right. You know, I went to jail. I got arrested and went to jail in my hometown. So I was in county lockup. It was like, you know, I knew the judge who sentenced me. I knew the, the sheriff who brought me into jail, brought me to and from court. You know, I graduated with both, both of their sons I graduated high school with. Mm-hmm. Um, knew, knew a couple of people in county during that time. Um, but, um, and you know, that wasn't a, a great experience, but it was not OCCC. I mean, you don't want to be... You, I mean, just... Don't want to be in there yeah. No, right? It's just gnarly. Uh, and I just I just would think of, oh my gosh, I can't... I, I've just been... I was so lucky because my life would be ruined. My life would be so different than it is today if I would have gotten... A DUI. Yeah, and just... Because it would have been over, you know? I just... ah, And those are the things that I think about when I want to drink um, or... Because um, I still... I, I still do would like to be able to have a drink. But like we were saying just, you know, not too long ago, I can't just have a drink because I know that I'm going to want more and more and more and more. It's just, I can't stop. I wish I do. I'm like, man, I wish, you know, I, I can't. So I'm just, I got to just not, I just have to deal with it. And I am. Um, um, but, um, but yeah, just so lucky. And there's so many people that aren't that mm-hmm. lucky, you know. Um, and, but sometimes that's what it takes. It takes, you know, going to jail and having to detox in jail. To get sober, and that's that's what gets them sober. Now, if that's what has to happen, then if that saves your life, then you know what? I'm glad that it happens to people, right. because um, your life is 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 worth more than you probably think it actually is. Especially right. if you are an addict or you're, you know, drinking. I I consider alcoholics and addicts the same thing. You're just addicted to whatever you're addicted to. Um, and if that's what it takes, then yeah, it's it's um it sucks that it had to take that, but you know what? I'm glad that it did because. Maybe that's what got you sober. Maybe that's what got you clean, right? You yeah. know? Now, there's a lot of repairing of relationships and figuring crap out after that and during that, but if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. So before I came over here, I looked up some statistics. We were, we were talking about how, I think, drug use and how people get into it is just different these days, right? And you had mentioned something about the fentanyl, right? And so w- with the huge opioid epidemic that, that started and actually, <laughs> sorry, this is another thing where... Um, my addict thinking, I'm just like, I just made it in under the wire getting sober because as I got sober is when they took all of the, um, they implemented all of the restrictions on doctors for giving out opiates, right? Right. And so I was able to abuse that system and I had three different doctors plus a bunch of friends that I knew that had painkillers that I would just get my painkillers from, right? And uh, um, right after um, I got sober or got clean, I should say, from the opioids in 2013 is when all the restrictions boomed down and they realized this is a crisis a lot of the manufacturers or i forget what family it is um is got sued like billions of dollars because they were just they were giving false evidence uh, that it was addictive they were paying off doctors to promote and to get people on this stuff and this stuff is bad right but man but um <laughs> so i looked up some stats right and so i wanted to look at uh 2020 In 2020, it said in the US that there were 22 million people who had an active substance use disorder, meaning drugs or alcohol, 22 million, okay? Um, There are, last year, there were 23 million people in recovery and there were 45 million people directly impacted by somebody's substance abuse, okay? So I was looking up the stats. Uh, it also said that um, in 2020 that one in three households in the U.S. were impacted by somebody in addiction. One in three. Um, and I would say if you're listening to this um, you probably know of somebody, uh, whether it's a friend or family member that is has struggled with or is struggling with a substance use uh, disorder. Um, I looked up in, uh, in the world, I think this was a world stat because then I looked up the other stats. I think in the world it was something like 185 million overdose deaths in 2020. That's probably worldwide. In the U.S. alone, in 2020, there were 93,331 overdose, overdose deaths wow. in the U.S. Uh, that is up 29.4% from 2019 where there was only 75,151. So that's almost 20,000 more deaths in a year from 2019 to 2020. A lot of that has to do with the pandemic, a lot of, um, you know, emotional issues coming up, a lot of mental health issues coming up, isolation. I remember hearing a stat, like, after the first six months of lockdown in, in, was that 2019? When did, no, 2020, 2020, March of 2020 is right before my birthday. Uh, It was around this time in 2020 when the lockdown started. Wow. Wow. it was a 500% increase in alcohol sales Mm -hmm. just in that first like six months of lockdown, okay? Um, In Hawaii, in 2020, there were 274 overdose overdose deaths, okay? So these numbers don't really mean anything unless you can compare them to something, right? So I want you to take um, um, that... 185 million overdose deaths, right? And compare it to uh, the, project, the projected deaths due to cancer for 2020: 606,520 deaths um, worldwide, I believe, wow. for cancer deaths compared to the 185 million overdose deaths. See, I think that we, um, one thing that we have to realize is that um, that addiction is one a disease, and it is a disease that is out of control. That and I don't think people even realize it that it's that um, that is this much of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I just I like to try to it just helps me understand that um, there are so many people that are lost in addiction are dealing with somebody in addiction and they don't know what to do. And this is what, so what, so what I've been doing, I mentioned to you, and I'm gonna follow up on this. I mentioned to you, I reached out to Bob Forrest. I mentioned this on the last episode we did. Right. Didn't hear back from him, totally understand. Um, but if I, can, if I can muster the courage, I wanna to try to actually call him and I'll probably leave a voicemail. But I wanna give him a suggestion. He does this Don't Die podcast with a couple of other guys. Uh, And I I would love for him to explain to people what can you do to help somebody who's struggling with addiction? Like how can you get them help, right? Because you're not going to get help until you're ready to. Um, And so it was interesting. So I've I've been Googling how to help somebody in addiction or somebody with an alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. And what pops up, um, especially if you use Google, It pops up on Google is whoever's paying the most to have their rehab actually promoted. So they have these algorithms that you can pay money to Google and all these search engines so that when anybody Googles something that's related to you, you're going to be the first five or Mm ten, right? Does that make sense? I don't know how that works, but that's that's what they do. So I use DuckDuckGo, um, and they should be sponsoring this podcast, but nobody is. Anyways. I use DuckDuckGo because they don't have that algorithm, and just it just brings you up relevant topics. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because um, still most of the things that come up when you when you, if you Google how do I help somebody get into treatment or how to help somebody who's struggling with alcohol, is it's a promo for a rehab, it's a oh um, oh to help somebody who's struggling with addiction get them to rehab. Um, but there's there's I did not find any place really that had a step by step. This is what you should do. So one of the things that I want to do, and I want to do this for our next episode, is between now and then, which hopefully won't be six months, right? Right. Is I want to be able to uh, put together a somewhat comprehensive, this is what you can do.
1: Step-by-step guide. To
0: help somebody get yeah. into recovery. And we, I know we covered this, I think, um, in one of the podcasts. I know that when I sat down with Dean, because he helped me during that time and my family during that time navigate that you know, trying to keep me sober and then trying to get me to a treatment or at least get me to a healthy place. Um, and so, I, you know, I, we, we just kind of talked about some of the things that he had to do and what he had to do to actually keep himself healthy and boundaries, holding me accountable um, even when I was not having it. Um, um, but yeah, I, I think that, that would be a useful thing. So back to Bob Forrest, I want to call him Maybe you leave a voicemail and give him uh, a suggestion of like, hey, could you guys do an episode on steps to take if you have somebody who needs help? Just give me a one, two, three. Give people out there a one, two, three. What can you do? I mean, there's probably a billion different things that you could do, but just what are some basics, right? Right. Um, Because I I listen to their podcast called the Don't Die Podcast all the time. And a lot of times they'll say, hey, listen, people aren't going to get sober until they're ready. Rehab is not going to get somebody sober beyond that 30 days unless they're ready to. Um, you know, uh, but again, like we were saying before, getting somebody to rehab or to detox might keep them alive for that day, that week, that month, that year. And it's worth it. Right. So that they, they don't die. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I just, I think that people need resources. And so what, what I would say on that is, um, uh, you know, definitely, you know, talk to a, a professional about how to keep somebody safe. But personally, if you're trying to help somebody, you gotta, You got to be healthy yourself. you got to have those boundaries. Um, you got to hold those boundaries, even though it's going to be painful. You're going to have to say no to the person. And again, um, I don't know what it's like to have a close friend or a family member that's struggling with addiction where boundaries are being crossed. There's lies. There's manipulation. I was the liar and manipulator. So I only know it from my point of view, trying to manipulate, lie, and steal to get what I can get so I can get my drugs or alcohol. Um, so I know it's not easy. So I'm, I'm not trying to make this, like, flippant. Um, but you have to stay healthy, and you, you've got to say no. And you've got to be healthy for you and your your family um, because that person needs to get to the point where they know that they need help and be wanting to step in and get help.
1: Sure. I think, I think this is, like you said, it's a bigger problem than yeah. what... Well, we think it is because of the stats, and I think those stats are alarming. But I don't think that they're shocking. Right. to I'm, me, yeah. I think it's it's when you hear about the worldwide amount of overdoses, you say, "Wow, this is a big this is a big issue." One hundred eighty five million people—that's half of America, right? So right. That's a lot of people, and most of it's probably the the opioid, yeah, you know, epidemic because that's what you hear of in America, right? yeah, and. I know we're leading the way. Yes, on, we on are on all of this, and so, you know, when you think of who needs the help, whose family members are going through this, I would say one out of every three. Yeah, maybe that's right. Maybe yeah. it's more. Yeah, you know, um, Donald Trump, even you know, was his brother was, uh, died from alcoholism. Right, I did not know that. Yeah, and he said that it, he's never drinking alcohol, whether you like him or not. Right, um, um, but the point was is that even the president. Barack Obama was smoking you know George yeah. Bush it's not like it's taboo there's no we don't live in this whitewashed society right. that where no half the people who are rich don't ever do drugs right we're living in a society where everyone's family yeah right, alcohol is available to everybody yep. everyone's dealing with it so i mean i can think of everyone that i know and someone in their families dealing unless they're come from this really healthy line of people and right. there are those problems. yeah absolutely but but most people um are dealing with it i think i think the majority of of people are and i would say for wow what is a step-by-step guide you know this is something that we need um me dealing with it now with my brother still right. after all these years you know maybe there should be a guide for people who've with brand new, they found out their their cousin or their brother yeah. is addicted to this, or people that have been going through it for forever. Because you know, it, it's sometimes it's like, man, how c- it's been twenty years, it's yeah. been thirty years. What do you do then? You know, so it, I, I think there is a lack of resources. One thing that I think has saved me personally is just the community of friends that we've had, and we've yeah. talked about this is that through. I think through church, yeah. essentially, because um, not everyone has the blessing of having friends. Yeah, and you know what they say is like you know the cure to addiction is community, right? right. And I think um, the cure to actually the there was that study done by Harvard. It was an eighty-year study. I don't know if you've heard about it. No. but it was like how, what's the key to happiness? Over they took. Thousands of people. It's the most comprehensive study right. on happiness over 80 years, and they followed them. Thousands of people. And in the end, the key was, and this is also, they did another study on long life, and it was community. Right. And so community is this key element to health, whether it's long life, happiness, or even sobriety. Yeah. And finding those people, a lot of the times, I think the the country, the world is struggling with an epidemic of loneliness. Oh, absolutely. More than it is an
0: epidemic of drugs. Right. Because, again, dr- drugs yeah. are one of the solutions. Mm-hmm. It's not the solution, but it's one of the go-tos for solving that gap of community right. and actual relationship. Yeah.
1: So, I, I, you know, I can't say this is what you should do to do that, but I, I, I can say that and one thing that, that shocked me in my life is that God has given me this vast community of friendship yeah. that I didn't have right. before, even when I, you know, I had friends that were close friends that you grew up with at high school, blah, blah, blah. But what we have now is way different. Yeah. We have a, you know, it's it's being generous through years, being yeah. sacrificial, being there for each other over years now it's become family right and there's this net of safety yeah and i think not very many people have that i think they're longing for that yeah and um you know i know that even with my brother i think about him and you know when you're an addict the one thing you surely do is you burn all your bridges yes so it only isolates you more yeah and that cycle is is a crazy cycle but having people in your corner, I know, is essential.
0: No, that's huge. And I'm blessed enough that you have been somebody who's been in my corner since, really, the day we met.
1: It, it, you know, well, we've been friends. We've always had, we, we've <laughs> had a common interest. Very <laughs> common interest. I don't know if I've helped you. But I've been, <clears throat> you've been in my oh, corner and I've been in your corner.
0: Oh, you absolutely have helped me. You, your your brother Max, absolutely has, you know, has helped me. And... It's interesting you say burning bridges. I did a, uh, an Instagram post not too long ago on burning bridges, right? And it was this moment. It's So this is what I love. And this is what shows me that because um, I don't, I'm not into the social media um, to the point of like I have to post. And, I, you know, I, I do get a little obsessive if people aren't like, I'm like, why aren't you liking this post, man? Come on, this is freaking awesome like this is a Stevie Ray Vaughan song why are why, why are why aren't Everything more people matters, liking too. the Stevie Ray Vaughan post i had on sure. facebook and instagram it's well, stevie ray vaughan the world yeah. has <laughs> <off this> <laughs> is not it's a bad taste so that's it but but it did but i but on the plus side of that or the positive side i did this post on instagram and facebook and all this kind of stuff uh, this picture of this burning bridge right and it, it was and it was it was in a moment where i was just kind of contemplating and I was just like, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm like, I was thinking about over the past, you know, three and a half years or um, whatever it's been that I've been sober and thinking about the people who I'm still connected with and some of those who I'm not. And I began to wrestle with this. And I'm like, you know, I, I understand that I did burn some bridges, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, And that I can understand why some people whom I was friends with, and and I don't mean just like oh I've known you for a couple of years, but like I would say yeah we were friends for you know three plus years. Like I've known you know I've been around these people, we've shared moments together, things like that. Where I don't hear from them, Um, and then I'm thinking. You know, is like why you know some in some of the cases it's just that we're just in different areas of life. Like either they're younger or you know whatever, and you know they're not married or they're married but they don't have a family. You know, so there's just different spheres of life that you go through. But I do know for some of those, okay, I can't say I suspect that for some of them though is that they were indirectly affected or maybe some were directly affected by my my use, and my, my addiction. And that I broke trust with them, mm-hmm. um, either directly or indirectly, uh, and they were maybe a, a collateral damage from what I, from, from what was happening in my life. And I started to get mad. I was like, what's their frickin' problem? Like, why, like, why, you know? So, and this is not healthy. I'm starting to have conversations in my head and trying to figure out what this person's problem was. Right. Like what dude, don't they know I'm like, dude, better now? What's they're the one with the issue. It's just it's insane thinking, right? It's it's not healthy processing. So I I kind of put the brakes on that. And that's when I did this post, because I came to the realization that you know what? Mm. I can't control other people. I can't control what anybody else thinks, feels, or does uh, in general, or what they think, feel, or do towards me. I can only continue to Keep my side of the street clean, as it says. Deal with my crap and my garbage. And I leave the other people up to, and I think in the post I put it this way, so it's like, hey, the rest is up to the Lord. I know what I need to do. And I I can only uh, maybe have a hope that there's a reestablishing of relationship. Yeah. Um and but that's some of the that's some of that damage that comes from being an active addiction. Is there's people that I may not ever hear from again because even though I may not have directly impacted their life, but I may be indirectly and just like oh I, I thought you were like this and now you're you were really like this and oh yeah you're healthy now, but I just don't want anything to do with that, right? Right. Um, and I've got like per. Let me. I almost said that wrong. I have. Yeah, I almost said I almost said I had performance issues. Um, let me let me let me <laughs> thought you were gonna say anxiety. No, no, let, anxiety. Let, let me let me let me let yeah, me this yeah I was what, gonna
1: say it's all in your mind re, re, if it's anxiety, oh, if it's the actual oh,
0: issue. Oh, Um This is where I wish I had the energy to go edit. I'd just edit that out. But yeah, anyways, yeah. have a good laugh at my expense. What I'm trying to say is this is that it
1: happens to I want go people on.
0: to I want people to like me, is what I'm trying to say. And so sometimes I will perform so that people will like me because in the past like if i've been speaking or teaching or whatever people come up oh i love the way you do this or i love the way you speak or oh it's so or it's this and i'm like good thank you i love hearing that right And like oh look at me i'm special not really but i feel special in this moment right and um uh and and so you know i you know and i've worked on that for years that now that i'm sober i'm like you know I cannot, and I should not perform for people so that I so that they like me. If they don't like me for who I am. Then that's fine. I've got to deal with that and move on, right? And I'm getting better at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So um, well, that whole performance thing just threw me off. I don't know what my point was now. Uh, oh yeah. So 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 I have to work on you know not not getting into that type of thinking, right? And just wanting everybody to like me or to say oh this or that. Uh, good stuff about me. I've got to be able to deal with the fact that I, I know I've directly done damage to people's lives. I've made amends for those. Most of those, if not all of those relationships, and I think this is probably not the norm for most addicts, um, have been restored. Um, it's interesting, though, because there's residuals, especially in my close relationships, like, I remember talking to Dean maybe a year after, or no, I, well, yeah, a couple years after I was sober I started this podcast and I had him on and I asked him. He's like, bro, he goes, um, there are times where I just, I remember what you were going through, Aaron, and we were so afraid that you were going to die. Uh, he's like, and I get anxiety. Like, I get, like, I stress out. Yeah, he, he was
1: traumatized. Yeah,
0: that. absolutely. Yeah. And I was just like, And this is something that's interesting, and I knew, I knew that this was going to happen as time went on and I got sober, right? Because I, for me, being sober, I often think back to, especially like January of 2018 leading up to June when I went into rehab, what was going on, what I can remember anyways, and what people have told me I was like, because it's such, I don't ever want to lose that icky feeling um because that helps me stay sober yeah because i'm like i was you know and i and and i think this is a a realistic thing like i was a horrible person i really was i was lying and stealing and manipulating and ghosting and like my wife Mm -hmm. my kids it's awful that i was doing these things uh, and I don't want because I that's not who I am. That's who I had become.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I don't I don't ever want to be that person again. And I I do count myself lucky back to those friends and community that you're talking yeah. about. And I think even you know your one brother. Um, I think that he, I don't know if again I can't speak for him, um, but I think that you know he is and maybe he would realize this, is blessed more than maybe he knows in that he still has people that want to see a good outcome to his life, right? And that have even, you know, stayed into whatever type of connection it has, you know? But it's like there's there's people who are saying, like, you know, we don't want it to end badly for you. And we're surprised that it's been this long, and it hasn't yet. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, so if I'm and I'm not, but I mean, if I'm wrong, this is my outside perspective. Yeah, I think
1: I think all of us are, you know, all of us. As my brother is that person, I'm also that person. Right. You know, and I think it just depends on where you see yourself. You know, like the prodigal son story. Right. You know, and for me. Sometimes, in, in some contexts, I see myself as the, the the brother. Right. Yeah, the righteous brother. Right. Sometimes I see myself as the father. Right. But most times I see myself as the prodigal son, right. too. And so I just think, um, man, like you said first, you said you need to be healthy yourself. And so having those boundaries, um, just for me to have a, a level of health that I can... I can function personally is really key. And then to let him in um, is a whole nother issue. Right. And, you know, for me, I, I'm speaking, all I can speak to others is the, what's worked for me. Yeah. And I say, you know, the key for for people that have these traumatic lives with people that are, in, in it deep right now is you, you just you yourself, like you said, you need to be healthy. I said you need to have community, right? And then going forward from there with those things, you can kind of um improvise along the way and get specialists to help you out, yeah. Um, but those things I think like the longing for friendship, yeah, the longing for um acceptance and those things like sometimes we're just super super rich in that right now we don't even realize what people are really wanting yeah and i think that's when people see us you know i still see myself as the prodigal son but people might say wow you know you don't have a lot but you do have a community you know you have places you have responsibility to be here and to be there and people count on you and you've been there and I'd say, wow, what a blessing that is because that's just how my life is now. And I'm so thankful. But in an instant, if I didn't have that, what well, would I have? Nothing. Right. You know, and so I just really want to steer people back to, man, what is it? What is it that you really want? Yeah. You know, and uh, who, what is it that'll really, what's the point of everything? And having that relationship with God, having that relationship with people. Is what I think the soul really wants, and and like you know, for me, for my brother, I'm not so sad that he's on drugs. I'm sad that he's alone.
0: Yeah. See, yeah. right. okay, that's see now yeah. that, now that's a very interesting thing because I think somebody who has addiction, it becomes the overwhelming identifier of who that person is. Oh, they're an addict, and so it's it's the drugs, it's the alcohol, it's this, and everything that goes along with it. But all of those really, if if like what the picture I have in my mind is like this. Let's just say it's a picture of like a heart, right? And then outside of that heart are these barriers that just go out of like, I'm going to put this barrier up because if, if I let people in, it's going to hurt. I'm going to put a barrier outside of that because if I let people in that barrier and they get to know who I am, they're not going to like me. Mm-hmm. And that's going to hurt. I've lived this life for so long in this way. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know any other way to think mm-hmm. or to feel Because for the last 20 years of my life, this is how I've operated. I don't know the truth from a lie sometimes. I mean, even for me, I got to the point where I was lying so much that I literally convinced myself that some of the things that I was saying was actually true. Right. And I would say things to my wife where I was like, no, I'm not drinking, or no, it's this, or no, no, it's this. Where I, I lied so much, where I actually didn't have to think twice about saying, no, 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 this is where the money went. Yeah, this is what I did. Where I believed it. Mm-hmm. And it's like almost like a, a split personality where I'm just, I I'm would go from, okay, this is reality to my reality is being threatened. I'm gonna have to stop drinking mm-hmm. or using, or I'm gonna get caught okay, I'm going to switch into this other personality and I'm now going to be that person to the person, Corrine, whom I'm the most intimately connected with, right? the closest person to me Mm -hmm. in my entire life, my wife, I'm going to then switch into being somebody completely different. And here's the thing. She could always tell when I made that switch. There would be times where I would be talking and she would just stop and she would look at me and she goes, what's going on? i be like, what do do you mean? She goes, you're off. And that's how she'd always describe Mm -hmm. it. She'd look at me and she goes, there's something off about you. And that's what it was. It's because I would, now, I did not have a split personality. just You know, but in a sense I did because I was taking who Aaron was and that was so compartmentalized and that heart was so protected that I was putting out all of these barriers and the person who knows me the, the best, who is kareem she would just, and sometimes I wouldn't even say anything. She would come in and she would look at me and she would just go, something's off. Right. And because she wanted to believe the best in me, I could easily just spin it. Or I would just turn it around and go, no, I think something's up with you. And and it was just horrible. I was a horrible human being. Right, right. It was yeah, awful. Yeah, it's the,
1: the tricks of the trade, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's something in there too that makes me think of you know when within every addict there is this, there is this trauma right that you've dealt with right right within every addict there's that that catalyst to yeah. to your addiction and that sabotaging of a good life yeah and you know like with the grace of God kind of comes upon us and yet you sabotage it as yeah. close as you can to total breakdown yeah. And that's you know like when I see my brother, that's what I see. It's like man, he, he there's so many times he's right there on the brink of freedom, and then then the breakdown. Yeah, I see that in my own life too. You know, I sabotage good things. Um, when, and it, it is something that like you said, it it, it has to do with um, you being healthy first, and the medication is not the problem. Right. You know, and so you know with even the community is not the healing right right that's something to help with the healing yeah. the it's a different type of support right it's a healthy support yeah. hopefully and i think even this self sabotaging thing that you're you're talking about and the idea that you can kind of live in this thing and get away with everything and trying to like live these two lives and then weasel your way into and out of things it's right. it's too familiar to me too yeah I lived that life too because I grew up in that household. Yep. You know, I would say stuff like that to my mom. It's not that she said, I just had one. It's not that you've had <laughs> one. You know, like, <laughs> it's that I could tell. Oh, right. You're different. Yeah. If you have one. Right. I know it's just one. Yeah. How many days, every day of my life I had that right. conversation with her. And so, you know, you're, and now here we are today, you know, kind of having the same thing. like, it's such it's such a deep thing. It's really the 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 discovery of um, the trauma, kind of accepting what what your life was, what my life is, and then moving forward. and And I think this is the issue too. You know, when it comes to um, people all having the same level of trauma, that's not true either. Right. You know, you can have someone that is dealt with certain things and it traumatized them. Yeah. But if someone else, you, had dealt with those same things, that's nothing to you. Right. Because your level of trauma was way deeper. So, you know, that's what makes it so hard. I think of my younger brother and I think, wow, you know, he had a level of trauma. Yeah. Because our lives are very, very weird. Um, And so... He's dealing with numbing a diff, altogether different level of pain and trauma versus someone else. So how does someone like him find equals to support him? Right. You know, um, whoever's going to help me has to know what I've been through. Right. I have to respect them. Yeah. Or I'm not
0: going to listen. Absolutely.
1: And same thing with you. And so. Then the pool becomes even smaller. Yeah. So who can really help you, Bob yeah, Forrest? Right. <laughs> it's like, who can really help me? You. Right. You've been through it. Who can? Who do I relate to? Right. People that have, I respect that have gone through yeah. similar things on the same level. Yeah. That I have. Now I don't want my, my wife to have gone through what right. I go through. Right. Or we're, right. we're right. going to be in trouble. Yeah. You know I want to have a healthy family. Yeah. So, you know, God bless me with someone that's different. Yes. So she can't be my my helper in that area. Yeah. But I have to have other people that have been in that level. Yeah. And because my, my trauma level was different than yours. Yeah. You know, and so this is, uh, for when I look out, I see all the different people, what they're going through now. And I, I think of, you know, you said... Um, how do kids get into it now? Right. Who knows? But why do kids get into it now? Yeah. The trauma's the same. Yeah. You know, the same problems that are ruining families, it's happening at a bigger rate. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to get in, but they're going to get into something to yeah. numb it. And so we have to have some sort of plan of attack. The churches, the people, the friends, the people who have been through it. I think this is being equipped is is really going to be more uh, useful twenty years from now than it is today. Yeah. Well, and I think you know <clears throat> there would have been more addicts per capita in twenty years, even right. though they're they're doing different drugs. Yeah.
0: Um, and because I think what you're saying too is is right. Is it is it you know that that initial trauma right and it, you know and I would say. I, Again, I'm not a doctor or professional or anything or an expert on anything other than my own story. Um, the uh, that, But that trauma is a common thread, right? And again, I think it's very key what you said, Ben, which is what's trauma to somebody may not be trauma to somebody else, but it if it's trauma to that person, regardless of what it is, mm-hmm. we can't ignore it, right? Because there's a root of that and that's growing out and the fruit of that is I'm trying to buffer myself from this, right? Because yes. when I say when I got into drinking age 14, um it wasn't I wasn't, you know, I wasn't uh consciously trying to deal with any kind of trauma. Sure. I mean, my mom died <clears throat> in a car accident when I was 6. That's traumatizing. I had a very abusive stepmom, through, you know, from age 7 all the way through 8, you know, until I got out of the house. Which is traumatizing. But I wasn't like actively trying to get away from trauma. I'm just like, hey, you know, my cousins drank. You know, I was introduced to alcohol from my my step-grandfather. Gave me schnapps, I think, during hunting season one year to keep warm whatever. I was like, this is great. It kind of feels good. I was off and running from that one. And it wasn't like he got me drunk. It was just a little sip, you know. And I was like, this is great. I feel wonderful. I want this feeling all the time, right? I'm sure some of that stemmed from you know, wanting to be comfortable with who I am and not being able to control my environment at home and all that kind of crap. So I guess maybe it did come from trauma. Anyways, but I wasn't conscious of it. Sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, I have to be aware, like, again, I was, I was saying before, I've had the privilege of being able to have people reach out and go, hey, Aaron, can you help so-and-so? And I'd be like, hey, I will, I'll sit down with whoever. If they want to sit down and talk to somebody, I don't have the answers, but I'm willing to listen. And sometimes that's, that's all the person needs, right? And a lot of times, we have the answers to our problems. We already know what they are. But we need to process them out. And then we need somebody to say, yeah, you're right. Okay, so what are you going to do about that? Right. I can put you in rehab. I can get you to detox. I can give you the ride. But I can't do the work that needs to be done once I drop you off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, And that's where the boundaries come in and, and things like that. But that that, that sense of community... As human beings, we were created, we were wired to have relationship with other human Mm -hmm. beings. So I look at the last two years of this pandemic and isolation, and I'm like, holy crap. The issues are coming in the next five years. We are going to see a generation that has major social anxiety, doesn't know how to relate to people. Why? Because they've been stuck inside having to FaceTime or Zoom or text or am or Discord or whatever, they're friends. And they're sick of their family because they've been stuck with their family for the last two years, right? So for part of the job that I work for, I, I finished up doing this healthy relationships course for mm. teens, right? Wow. So I've been doing these focus groups as, as wrapping this, this, this program up and talking to the parents and talking to the teens, right? And I've been asking them, I'm like, how did this course or did it help you navigate the problems in relationships due to COVID. Mm. And across the board, I've done uh, like a hundred, I've taken a hundred people through the, these, these wow. focus groups. Right. Okay. Um, and across the board, both parents and teenagers say one, it helps me because I had to communicate with my family because I couldn't get away from them. I was stuck with my family mm-hmm. for months on end. Mm. It was like solitary confinement with my parents or the parents' solitary confinement with my teenagers. And the biggest thing that came out when I say all the lessons that we talked about, what was that? They said the communication piece where I was forced to have to use these methods of clearly communicating and being able to explain why I was feeling the way I was feeling and be able to listen to what the other person was saying because I had no choice because we were stuck in the same freaking house together Mm -hmm. for months on end. The other part of that was teenagers saying, now that restrictions have been lifted, I am anxious about what it's like to hang out with my friends in real life. I'm having an issue connecting with other human beings when we're face-to-face now. That's a huge issue because at our core, we want, and then put on top of that, all of the anxiety you have just as being a teenager, wanting to be liked and accepted and having to perform, you know, I mean, just everything that teenagers from the beginning of time have dealt with, right? Or human beings. Um, And so I, so it's very concerning to to think about this because it all comes down to what is it going to be their go-to is, you know. Because we're seeing addicted addictions across the board with gaming. Sure, it's whatever you can use to step out of reality, have control of your environment, and get get out of that which makes you anxious. That's what because you have to you have to learn how to deal with with crappy things in your life because that's right. life, right? Right. Um. You know, it used to be, I, I, and I'm I'm dealing with this with with my teenagers right now because um and I've said this before, for my graduation from high school, I got luggage. The message was clear. Aaron,
1: <laughs>
0: you're a high schooler. You're going to school. You no longer live here. If you want to visit, that's totally fine. And my dad actually said this to me. You don't need to come home every weekend, Aaron. You can, you know, you've got your own place to live now. You're going to school. And I was just like, Dude, are you kicking me out of my own freaking home? And I felt like he was. He's like, no. But you. what he was saying was essentially this. You're an adult. It's time to go and live an adult life. Figure this crap out. Right? And I had, like, I was, you know. And then after he died, when I was 18, I was, you know. Again, I had community. I had people who cared for me. But I was still alone in the sense that I had to figure out how to navigate life. Right. And I'll never forget. I was I was skiing one time. It was, this, it was shortly after my dad had died, and I had knocked myself out skiing. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I went down to the the ski patrol, and they had checked my eyes. No, you're not dilated. I'm like, I don't remember coming. They're like, did somebody come with you? I'm like, yeah, I got my friend Scott. He's you know he can. Okay, you need to go home and go to the ER because if you can't remember showing up, there's head trauma, right? Right. Uh, and they're like, "Do you have somebody with you? Like, can you call your parents?" And said, so, "Oh, you know, my, my parents are dead." And this ski patrol, she's probably like in her 40s or so. She just stopped. And she goes, "Oh my goodness, who takes care of you?" And I was like, oh, I just take care of myself." I I didn't think about like how off, how like, like that how was
1: not normal. That was I know. I was
0: just like, "Oh, I'm on my own." So yeah, my friend will take me home, and you we'll know, I'll go to the ER. We'll we'll figure it out, right? And years later. And, the, is, and that came up again after I got sober. And I was thinking, and that, the picture of sitting in that ski patrol trailer and this just super kind ski patrol woman just looking at me and she just softened. And she's like, well, like, who takes care of you? And to me, I was just like, oh, I'm, just, I'm on my own. So yeah, not a, it's not a big deal. I don't know what, like, you know. And I didn't think twice about it. I wasn't just like, oh, I don't know. I just, I, somebody has to. I was just like... I just take care of myself, which I wasn't doing a very good job of at that point in my life either. And truth be told, I had tons of people that were caring for me, right? But it's still different. Um, And so, you know, again, getting back to what we were talking about, it's about having that community. And I think about one of the only reasons that I'm still alive and that I am still sober and that I'm still married and that my kids don't hate me is because of people like you, your brother Max, because of... um, Dean guys, and these people who I'm sure were very annoyed with me during that time, probably didn't like me during that time, but were willing to say, okay, we're going to help this guy out, you know?
1: Yeah. You're unique, though. You're humble. <laughs> I don't,
0: I really, don't know really. about
1: that. You know, I, I. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you know, I, I just think it's, it's really, really... Um, This is what shocks me. Whenever we get together, I hear those different stories about you, and then, like that's a really deep story that you remember that what she said to you, and then you looking back on it, or maybe at that time you you can you would have said, "Wow, maybe I am dealing with stuff that's not normal." Right. I think a lot of the time, what. An addict or someone might be longing for is is that uh, like a temperature read? Yeah. From someone to say, you know, that's like good. you you come from these broken homes. Who's gonna be there with the voice of authority to say, that's not healthy. What right. they did to you. Wow. You know, and so a lot of the time, unless you get into these, part of what the community does is is reflect that. Yeah. So you know, um, and that that leadership is is really really rare. You know, the last church that I was at, we did a small group for a long time. And the small group met every Wednesday night, and it was mostly 20s and 30s, all the way up to 90s. Right on. (laughs) Come on. But, you know, part of the goal of that group was, and I was leading it with two other friends, was that you would reflect back to people. We would ask a question. Right. And this is where the community comes in. It's very intentional in a church, you know, you might have these small groups that meet every week, big group on Sunday, small right. group on Wednesday or something. Point of that is is to reflect to people what's really going on and take the side of grace for their mm, life. Right. Take their side. So, um, and the truth also comes out, but it comes out after the grace. Yeah. So someone might say something like what you just said, oh yeah, yeah I'm fine, and then, you know, when you're, it's your time to share through whatever question that was asked, you might let out something like that, something that heavy. And between the three of us that were leaders and then became the culture of the group, there was a reflecting back to the person of, wow, that's really interesting. Because when I was 18, my experience was the right. opposite, right? And I had to, They sent me off to college. This is not my story. Right. I I imagine like someone. (laughs) They sent me (laughs) off to college and, you know, and they had, you know, I had the card and I can go to the cafeteria and, you know, both of my parents were there and I could call them for everything. And I mean, what you just said is so ridiculously crazy. You know, both my parents died. I was 18 taking care of myself on the thing. But I get a concussion. No one's taking care. It's so shocking. So... In these communities that we are a part of, hopefully, you then need people to reflect back to you the truth. Right. Because if you just say, I'm fine, I'm strong, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm this, I'm still taking care of myself. You know, you don't really get to the heart of the issue. you right. got to start with the truth. And the truth is, while that was a crazy situation, I could see why you would have gone down that route. I'm so right. glad you didn't stay there. And even if it took you 20 years on, then maybe that's a short amount of time. Right. Because dealing what you went through... Right. I've seen other people with one-fifth of what you went through take twice as long as you to right. get to where you are today. So that's why these communities of the church is so important. And even within these communities, a lot of the times they're just superficial, whether it's at a church <clears throat> or even whether it's at that rehab that you went through. You said it was didn't even help. Because it takes people... Like special people yeah to say to somebody, you know that empathy, that wisdom, thank God you had Dean during that time. Right. Thank God you had someone who'd been through that. yeah he hadn't been through what you've been through, but he'd been through enough wisdom yeah to say, wow that must have been tough. Yeah. here's what you need. And
0: somebody do. knew what health should look right. like right It's just like okay because I remember I would continually say to him is when I got sober and back from the rehab, in Minnesota, the retreat that did work um, because I put the effort in as well, but it was healthier. Anyways, um, was we would talk about stuff and, and, and what would be like, I would always use this illustration and I would, I would kind of put my hand, you know, put my hand up and kind of do this horizontal line and go, so this is what normal adult healthiness looks like. And when I first got out of rehab, I was, I'm just like, I'm not there yet. Like And then I'd have these moments of like where I would do something correct, and Dean and I, we, we would meet every single week, and we'd debrief stuff, we'd talk about stuff, and just kind of our normal flow of stuff. And, and, and I would have these epiphanies. And I'd go, wait a minute. He'd be like, oh, that's great that you did that. I'm like, oh, so this is what like normal adult healthy life is like? He's like, yes, th- this is what normal adults do. do. And it wasn't condescending, like what? Why haven't you grown up and why aren't you acting like you should? He was saying, yes, you, I had something to gauge where I was at against. And it wasn't something so lofty of like, you have to, you ha, if you're not doing this, you're doing it wrong. Like, and you're not good. It was... The basics of adult. Yeah, wow, Aaron. Health. You process that emotion healthily. Whoa. You, instead of lying and manipulating, you were just honest and had a conversation that's healthy. And I remember going, ah, this ain't too bad. Yeah, Like not living in chaos and doubt and fear and anxiety is kind of nice, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is too that reflecting back and you're not telling the person what to do, but you're saying, hey, have you thought about this? Like meeting you where you're at, uh, meeting that person where they're at, helping them to then bridge that gap of you shouldn't, yeah, You need to be here, but saying, wow, look at, wow, this is great that you're there. Or like, because I still, um, you know, I realize that my story is not the most gnarly story in the world. There's tons of people, billions of people who had it worse than me. Uh, but I've always used that to downplay things that have happened in my life, things that have been caused, that I've caused, or things that have just happened, right? And I'm just like, ah, well, you know, it hasn't been that bad. And I've had people look at me and go, Aaron, okay, let, let's, let's take a reality check that's probably not normal that those are pretty big life events that you know are not normal for people you know and so I have to remember that grounds me to go oh okay so I'm not gonna walk around going Oh well, yeah here's my story and you should see it. it's like okay no I'm gonna have the reality of what's happened in my life what I've tr- what I turned my life into and how my life was turned around I'm grounded in that now it's not a badge of honor it's part of my story, and I can use that to help others and meet people where they're at, right? right? And you don't have to have a gnarly story to meet people where they're at. I do think, though, to have an authentic connection, if you're going to try and help somebody change, somebody has to be introduced into their life that knows the BS, knows the heartache, knows the chaos of addiction, because you just, there again... I can sit in a room full of people who aren't addicts and they can empathize with me or sympathize with me, but maybe not empathize with me. They can maybe have compassion with where I'm at, Mm -hmm. um, but they don't know what it's like. Whereas if I go to a room full of addicts or drunks and I tell a story and what most people would go, oh my gosh, we're laughing about it because everybody knows what it's like to be in that state of mind and to make that stupid decision and still come out alive. And there's just a different connection. And there's a normalizing of insane behavior, not that it's appropriate, but, oh, great, we all have a similar experience of, like, doing this and thinking that it was normal, and now that we realize it's not, we can laugh about it in situations that really aren't funny, but they are now. Hard to explain. I know you know what yeah. I'm talking
1: about. Yeah, I think but, most people can, can relate to that in that they, there's always, like you said, you went to rehab. But you've often told the stories, right? When you got there, there was a pastor who was there. He said, I'm also a pastor. Yeah. And that's why I think I went to rehab, but really, you went to a place where you met these people. Yeah. These special people. Yes. And I think that's what I, for me, as we're talking, kind of the theme that I'm picking up is you know, it's always people. It's always not just a group or not just a rehab or not just a church or a small group. Right. It's in that small group, there was that guy. And I remember he said that one thing to me and you recounted that story to me a couple episodes ago, ago where the guy said, hey yeah, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. And you remembered him. Yeah. And so what that does to me is it's like, it reminds me that I have to become that person. So whether or not I know what to do, I know I could become that person. To to I want to be that guy, more than anything. Because yeah. I want to be that guy. Right. That that says that reflects back the right thing at the right time in the right way, just how Jesus was. Yeah. Jesus was so, um, perfectly, um, appropriate. Yeah. You know, with the right comment to the heaviest individual yep. at the right time. Yep. You know, he, he empathized and he directed and he did it in such a wise way. Yeah. And I don't think there's enough of that wisdom in the world. Like for me, when we talk about people not being in community, what that means to me is, is like we're not really passing on the wisdom. Right. So the world has less and less of the Bob Forrests, right. the, the Aaron Larson's and uh, people that have that wisdom about them. You know, when I became a Christian and I went to a group, it wasn't the the songs or the church. It was that that person said, hey, here's my guitar. You play, take this home with you. Right. It was him. Right. And, you know, like community is important because of the people you meet there. And they got to be deep and they got to be empathetic and they got to be wise. Yeah. And they can really, really help. And, you know, with this next generation, I just, I wonder how many leaders were, I wonder if the wisdom's dying yeah. because we're not meeting, we're not passing it right. on, yeah. you know.
0: And I, that's so true. Like when you were saying that, I was transported back to the first Bible study I ever went to. I was unsaved, I was, I was going because the girl that invited me was hot and I just wanted to hang out with her. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with, really with Jesus, is, as far as I was concerned. But when I stepped into this place, it was in Uptown Minneapolis, the funky artsy community of Uptown by Lake Calhoun. Uh, the pastor and his wife who ran this Bible study, Andy and Sue Boyer, love these guys. I haven't talked to them in probably 10 years. Maybe message them once mm-hmm. or twice or whatever. Two of the most amazing people in my life, um, and um, just and w- this is what was so awesome about them is here I was, I was in active addiction then, um, going to this Bible study, not knowing what to expect, and they were just themselves. Mm. I didn't have to act a certain way, and everybody else in that room was just authentic. And I'd never experienced that. Nobody was putting on airs or talking in in a language that I didn't understand. They were just themselves. We had Uh people with purple hair and nose rings sitting right next to these like chemical engineers in sweater vests and glasses, Mm. 15 years apart in their age. And they're sitting together talking, and I'm like, this does not compute, like, how are you guys even in the same room? Like, this is different cultures colliding. But unbeknownst to me, the common core was Jesus, was authenticity. And that was the beginning of my, of my Christian experience. And that's what ushered me into wanting to have that relationship with Jesus, right? Right. If it wouldn't have been that, it would have taken me a lot longer to get to where I needed to be, right? There's just no way it would have happened. Yeah, thank
1: God for those two, right? Like, You know, they were able to meet people where they were at and set that culture of authenticity that they had to set. And so someone like you who was coming from a hardcore background there for chicks, you know what I mean? You didn't come for, like, the Bible. Absolutely not. It really was, and I think this is where a lot of addicts, you know, they're lacking these places to go to, whether they're a rehab, whether it's a church. And if they are, they find them. I know people find these places all over the world with these real people and this wisdom to help people. But but it's important that you find it. Yeah. And it's important that we become people like that. Yes. You know? Absolutely. And, and I want even as we're talking I am like, you know, I wanna be I wanna be in that place. Yeah. I wanna be around people that are like that. I wanna become that person. Yeah. I remember um, Going to this pastoral counseling class, you know, Bible school. Yeah. And this guy was a chaplain for um, all these hospitals, but he was a a pastor also. And in the chaplaincy, there's things you can't go into. You have to be wise. Right. You you can't just say it's not about just evangelism. Right. It's about that, but it's also about comfort. It's also about... Your role is different in, those, in yes. those things. And so you have to balance those things out. But meeting people where they're at, I, I remember we were there were a few of us in this class, and all of us were so ill-equipped to do this. <laughs> people would start sharing what's going on in their life, and he would coach us as a group constant right, class. Right, right. And all we would do is just we'd hit hit it with the advice. Right, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. They'd share something. Someone comes with something deep. Yeah. They're, they're pearls, as Jesus calls it. right. And these, it's like Job with his friends, right? We just shut. Well, you should do this. You should do that. And boom, 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 boom. And uh, by the end of the class, some people got it. Some people still don't get it. Right. But by the end of the class, you learn about, um, wow, that must have been difficult. Yeah. I can't imagine what you've been through. Yeah. You know, those sorts of things, finding people that have been equipped that are accessible that can listen yeah. and can maybe just reflect back who they are yes. rather than what they've done yeah these people are like uh, you know it's a, it's very very rare that you find find these people yeah. and so for me i'm just thinking while well, the epidemic of opioids is meeting like the epidemic of, of of people that just don't know how to
0: deal with it. Yeah. And I I think you hit on such a key thing. I think we're going to wrap up with this is you said so many wise things right there, Ben, that are so key that I want, I want people listening to be able to understand. So this is any, this, this is the equipping portion of life by the drop. I think this is what we're going to do. But, but, but no, it really is. It really is. Because, um, because I'm telling you right now, um, you don't, have the answers for people. And guess what? You don't have to have the answers. And even if you do have the answers, doesn't mean you have to share the answers. Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to addicts, we're not going to convince them into recovery. They have to be convinced themselves to step in. In a sense, it has to be their idea to want to get help. Right, and there's gonna, you know, and there's gonna be resistance, even after they go. Yes, I need help. Step into it. No, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. No, I, I don't need this. It, it, it. And it's just like, no, 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 no. You, you put you, stepped into this. Now let's, fit, you know, let's see it through. But I think what was so wise about what you said was <clears throat> um, having and wanting to give advice to fix the problems. Mm-hmm. Now, is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing to want to help somebody to solve their problems but in a sense if you're telling them what they should do they're not going to have they're not going to be equipped to to navigate emotionally and intellectually and philosophically what they need to navigate through to get to where they need to be they have to take those steps themselves by telling people what to do at times it's like we're picking them up and carrying them to the finish line and setting them down they've got no vested interest they've ex- they've they have not expended any energy or effort to get there They've been carried there, and they're going to end up back at the starting line because they didn't take the steps themselves. They didn't go through what they needed to go through. There's going to be times that yes, you can advise somebody to go there, but maybe we do that with that reflection, like, "Oh, that's," and like again, it's it's it sounds cliche, but of like, "Wow, you know, I don't I I don't know what that's like. That's very difficult. Like, how does that make you feel? Oh, okay. So like, well, I don't know. What what do you think you should do now?" Okay, so how do you think that, um, that you can do that? Because, I mean, what you're doing is you're really just asking them to figure out the next steps.
1: Right, and, you're, and you know one of the things, too, is you're becoming... Because someone might even be ready that your brother, my brother, you... You might be ready, actually, to open up. Right. And then that person shuts you down. Yeah. See, so that's the issue, too, is, is that timing sometimes doesn't... The world doesn't work around you, Right. You run into people that that don't know how to deal with your, and that's what we're talking about: how yeah. to deal with addiction. Yeah. And part of that is becoming those safe people. And I wasn't always that person. Right. Sometimes I I err on the grace side too much. Yeah. Actually. Right.
0: Yeah. You're never going to be perfect. I think yes,
1: that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So like you know, there's people that are great about steps. I you know, I'm like, I'm Mr. Grace. You know, because I feel like I still I still relate. And so I'm not perfectly balanced, but. But the key thing is, too, is that, you know, to to become that person who is safe at, at least. Yeah. To keep that relationship open. And then also how to balance that with boundaries. Yeah. These are the things that all of us are working through. Right. With all of our friends and family that's all addicted to stuff. So, you know, I, it's not it's not ever going to be perfect, but it starts with just becoming, you know, I want to connect. I want him to connect, you know. Like when I, the last conversation I had with my brother, I was proud of myself because I normally, I, I look back in my life. I there's been times where I've totally shut him off, and right. other times where I've totally like just like come down hard, yeah,
0: and,
1: and like no means no, right? You know. But he shows up my up at my house now. It's it's a serious situation, so I hit him with the the, the Jesus grace, right? But. You know, he wanted a ride. This was last week. He wanted a ride somewhere. you know, And I was right in the middle of moving my whole house. Right. And I was exhausted. Yeah. And this is like, I told Aki, okay,
0: I got to go give him a ride. Jump in the car.
1: Now, he's at my house. Right.
0: Drugged out. Right.
1: This is four or five days ago.
0: Right. Goodness.
1: And um, we're driving in the truck, you know. And I said, dude, you look old. You're starting to look old, man. He's like, I know. I said, bro, you better watch out, bro. You're...
0: No, man.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I saw you like five months ago. Dude, you look 10 years younger. Oh, you're... no. But I, was, I said it as a joke. Yeah, yeah. I said, bro, you better, it's not, what the hell are you doing? This You show up in my house right. totally high right. with my wife right. and my landlord for the thousandth
0: time. Right. I'm going to call the cops. Right. It's... Which would be understandable it if you said be. that. But it wouldn't be wise. Yeah.
1: And you know what he told me? He said, dude, thanks for keeping it light.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's huge, dude.
1: He said, can we go to Jack in the Box? I said, yeah. Wow. We went to Jack in the Box. I dropped him off for wherever he was going, yeah. and then I left. Yeah. So said, I love you, and I left. Wow. And I, he, said, he said, yeah, thanks for keeping it light. Wow. Because at that time, he didn't want the heavy. Right. He came because he needed a ride. Yeah. And he knew I'd give it to him. Yeah. I wasn't going to give him money. Right. But there was a healthy level of I can help, that I want to help, and I reflect to him back. You know, I told him stuff like, you know, your skin is very important. Once you lose your skin, right? <laughs> you have to have a skincare routine. You know, you want to exfoliate. You don't want to. Oh my gosh! And he's just cracking up. You know, but I thought, you know, um, we all grow. We're all trying to figure it out. What I want for my brother who is addicted is he has to do it on his own in some ways. I want to be there, but I have to live my life. Yes. I want him to know I love him. I still believe in him. Right. But I can't. Yeah. I can't do it for you. Yeah. But you can always come here. Yeah. For this, you know. If things are... So it's just this really, really rare thing. But like I said before, I think what he's looking for was that joke. Yeah. Because he doesn't have it with anyone else. Right. You know, or he might have it with my older brother, but, you know, it's 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 really having, for me, it's having this in my life right now, it really brings me back to, you know, dealing with um, kind of the basic cries for what people really are looking for. Yeah. What, what life, in its essence, what's the most uh, precious thing in the world, mm. you know, like how good we have it, even though we don't have everything. Right. You know, like That's we still, good. I might not own the house in right. Hawaii Kai. I might be a renter. Right. But, you know, I, can, I have this. You know, yeah. we meet. I have my wife. I have my friends. Yeah. I have my family. Those are the things I'm super rich. Yeah. I'm super, super, you know, and what people in addiction, they could be living in this great place and like we live, and they could be all alone. Yep. And the question is, how do you walk someone back into this rich life? Wow, right right. How did they get from where he is, not off drugs yeah. but how does he become where he's insulated by community? Yeah. and he can become that person yeah. that like Jesus can reflect back to people, yeah. empathize and be that, that strength for people. That's really what what really he's looking for yeah. to become. He wants to be like a me. Yeah. and I want to be like my older brother and I want to yeah. you know like right. just want to be a healthy person yeah. and so um, you know thank God I still I'm still going through that with him because then it, it brings me back to where I am right now and I know there's a lot of people listening that you know you f- still feel like oh my gosh we're going for I don't have this together yet I don't have that Yeah, I wish I had this and all, you know what you see on TV is you know it's unattainable, right? But when you think of where you were, or where that person that's on a drugs right now, or addicted to whatever, is, and you, you really have this precious, precious, healthy wholeness that those people are longing for. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, just I don't know um, how one gets from where they are to where we are. Yeah. But I know that's what. Yeah. You, you know. I know that's what they really want.
0: Yeah. And I think what, that's what's key is that journey from where they are to where they want to be or where they should be or where maybe, like you just said, like where we are, right? All right. That's going to be different. That, that path is different for yeah. everybody, but the starting point and the destination are pretty much the same. But how somebody gets there is going to be different, right? Because we're all, again, there's no, there's no cookie cutter, one-stop shop for recovery for people right. because every human being is so unique and different and the trauma is different levels and affects people in different ways and all of this different stuff. But I think it, that's what's so wise. And um, my, like one of, my, one of my missions, I would say, and I'm getting the opportunity to do this, is um, is sharing my story uh, with as many people as possible, right? I've had the opportunity to speak at a high school. I'm going to go back to that high school and speak to them. I actually met a couple of students during these focus groups that were in those in in that in that talk that I did at that high school, and they're just like, "Wait a minute! Didn't you come to our school?" And like, I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I did." They're like, "Oh my gosh, you were so hilarious! That was so awesome!" I said, "You got you got to come back." I'm like, "Well, tell that to your school. I would love to come back and share this story, right? You know." Um, but also in the church, because I think there's such a stigma. And and I'm all for recovery programs. I, I'm a part of 12-step programs myself, and mm-hmm. they, they help some people. Some people, they don't help. That's great. There's many ways to step into sobriety, but it's about community and finding mm-hmm. connection. How do you find that connection? And what makes me concerned sometimes is that we're taking church and we're turning it into, oh, we've got an addiction program or a recovery program. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. But when it becomes something separate from the body of Christ, you still are isolating people that have issues right. and you're still making them feel like outsiders. So again, I'm all for like to celebrate recoveries or th- th- I, those are definitely needed at churches because mm. if you're a Christian going through this, you might not want to go to a different 12-step or anywhere else, Right. So if that's a way in, great. That's great. But make sure that you're bridging that gap. That this isn't that separate side thing that you go to. You know, oh, you go to the recovery thing. You know, um, and hopefully it doesn't become that. That it's like no, because I'm guarantee you, everybody in the big room on Sundays needs to be in the side room for recovery because we all got stuff that we're dealing with. That's There's right. all things that we're powerless that uh, that we're powerless, um, and that we that we need help with, right? And that begins with us being able to do exactly what you said. Um, listen, reflect back, help them solve their own problems, and being a source of connection, even if just for a moment for that person, like you were for your brother. Hey, thanks for keeping it light. Can make all the difference in the world.
1: That's all right. All the difference in the world. That's right. And I think, too, with uh, you know, going into the church thing, too, man, this is, this is one of those things. Because of the pandemic, the churches now are just getting back to meeting right but a lot of people haven't been coming back because they might watch online or something like that and i think this is this is the issue and you know it's funny because what we were talking you know i used to be in charge of small groups at a church right you know you say things all the time because you know they're true yeah but then the longer you're (laughs) at it you go oh no that's why i was saying it and so i you know we would say stuff like hey, you know, small groups are the heart of this church. Right. What we do on Sunday is, is important, but right. what we do on Wednesday right. is even more important. It's great to celebrate, but it's more important right. to be seen and to get to know people and, because what you need is community. Yeah. And I think really the role of, of what the church is, is is not the education center, right. which you're going to get from watching it. Right. It's not the worship time. Right. It's the worship education together. It's the community part that's yeah. more important. Yeah. And I do believe that. And and so, for me now, even because I'm part of a church right now, and we haven't been in a small group, so I'm thinking even as we're talking, and this applies to people who aren't Christians. Right. Because, whether you better find some. Somewhere, I better find somewhere where you have this. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, you have the, the thing every Sunday, you guys have family dinners or whatever. You have that place of connection. Yeah. That healthy, it makes life worthwhile, yeah. the relationships and everything like that. And, and the churches right now are, are going to be, they're trying to get people back. But I wonder if they're trying to get them back to Sunday. You know, why do we want him back? Why right. do we want him back? And what do people really need? Right. You know, and I think it's still back to that small core. Yep. The people that they can be honest with. And yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, my personal philosophy is, you know, Sundays for church is where we gather together to, to, to worship, to give God his worth, right? We acknowledge that in song. We, we do have the opportunity to have scripture and to be fed in that way too. There is a learning moment there too. But you should walk away from a Sunday um, not just knowing about God or Jesus more, but um, in some way there should be an emotional change. Not just a philosophical or intellectual, oh, hey, this is great. I understand more. But how is it affecting your life? Because if it affects your life or your heart, I would say, the core of who you are, then it's going to bleed out of you in a good way in your daily relationships starting with whoever's in your home to your out 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 right your work yeah. or your friends yeah. and stuff like that and that's that's what marks the change again back to that bible study the reason i kept coming back wasn't because of the girl who invited me it was because these people were real and authentic and they accepted me for where i was at and i was very annoying i was and i was i was Up and down and I was moody and I was ornery and 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 needy and and they were just like, Yeah, hey, we hope to see you next week. I'm like, really? God, do I want to come to a place that would like actually want me, you know, as Woody Allen always said, right? I'd never become a member of a place that would actually have me as a member, right? You know, that classic (laughs) line. Um but that but that's what it is. So to wrap this up, just want to say uh well one, thank you, Ben. It's been great. Thank you. Been great. I love your wisdom and stories definitely. But again, if you're out there and you're struggling with uh, addiction, I hope that you've not just gotten some um, some inspiration, but I hope that that you realize that there is hope, that you can do it. Ask for help if you need it. There's no shame in that. I know everything in you is gonna is gonna say, yeah, but they're not. They're gonna reject me, and you know I I burned too many bridges. But I, you know, there's somebody out there that that is going to um, is going to help you. That's going to listen to you. They're not gonna solve your problems. It's going to be a hellaciously hard road, and you are going to go through a lot of pain. Uh, but it's better than dying. And you can step into, because when you step into recovery, you're recovering back your life. That's what recovery is. It's not just recovering from damage or, oh, I've recovered because I don't use anymore. I know people who don't use anymore who are still kind of heads. Right. I don't want to be around them. Yeah, they don't use or drink anymore, but they haven't recovered their lives. They're still bitter. They're still unrelatable. They're still not very community oriented or oriented or whatever. What we would get back and what we recover is our lives, what they were supposed to be, and maybe, and in most cases, more than what we could ever expect. Mm-hmm. And a mindset that I shifted to over the last year has been this. In the very first page of my big book from AA, it says at the top, and I have this highlighted, and I remember highlighting and underlining this when I was in rehab, and it was one of the first things I ever read, and we, we had this, this class every Wednesday that we would sit down, we'd go through chapters of the big book, and they'd explain it to us, we'd talk about it, and it said something about, um, you know, these are stories of those who have recovered, past tense. Mm. So I'm reading stories about people who have recovered, and what have they recovered? their lives Mm, and I know a lot of people say hey you know I'm in recovery I'm like okay And and that's great and I'm not trying to mince words or judge anybody for me my language and my mindset is like I'm not a recovering alcoholic and addict I'm a recovered alcohol and addict meaning what I've recovered back that which I had lost that's great and I move forward into the world in a place of having recovered that and that opens up a world of possibilities that were not open to me before. I'm no longer trying to get back that which was lost. That's been restored. What I didn't need to recover has been cut off and I left behind. And as I move forward out into the world, I am stepping into new places and new relationships and new opportunities and it's freaking exciting as hell. And I love that. And that hope is for you as well or for your loved one or for your friend who's struggling with addiction as well. Get them the help that they need. Get the help that you need. There's hope out there. We hope you have a great week. This is Ben and Aaron saying aloha.